After the Sabbath, at the dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Well, good morning again, everybody, and happy Easter. I know I'm not the first one to wish you a good morning. I know I'm not the first one to wish you happy Easter, but it doesn't mean I get my turn too. Um, so we're excited to be able to be here with you. If you are uh, new with us, this is your first time, or whether maybe you're new to church in general, uh, we're so thankful that you're here with us. And, and uh, we hope you know, before anything else, that you are loved deeply by God. Loved so much that he sent his son Jesus so that Jesus would live a perfect life and he died a horrible death, but he was raised to new life, which is what we celebrate today at Easter. He was raised to new life so that we may have the eternal life uh, relationship with him we've always been created to have. And so what I want to do is welcome you to our church at Pomerado Christian Church. We want to create fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ who want to help everyone get plugged into the people and the purpose of the church. That we recognize we are not perfect people, but we are people who are, have been and are still being changed by God to make a change in this world. And we recognize that we are called to be witness to who God is, both through our words, but also through our actions. And like our church initials, plugged in, changed by, and called to spell out PCC. So hopefully it's something that's easy for us to remember, and hopefully it describes the way we live as individuals and as a church. And so we are so excited to be able to spend this time with you and, and to have this Easter morning here with you. Now, we are uh, starting a brand new series called uh, I Am, and we kind of did a little teaser for it at Good Friday, um, but really in earnest, we're starting it this morning, and these are based off of the seven statements of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John. John was one of his closest disciples, um, one of his inner circle, and he wrote this Gospel, and seven different times Jesus proclaimed I am, and what he was saying, as we'll learn over the next seven weeks together, what he was saying were things that were direct claims and proclamations of his divinity and relationship with the Father. That a prophet wouldn't have said these things, that a good moral teacher wouldn't have said these things, that a respected rabbi wouldn't have said these things, because a good prophet and a moral teacher and respected rabbi, they were, they were only human. 
But Jesus is fully God and fully human. So he says these I am statements that are direct connections to the I am who I am. The name of Yahweh that we see in Exodus 3.14, the name that God gives himself is Yahweh, I am who I am. And so Jesus, when he says these statements, each one has a significance, each one is important to our lives. And When he says these statements, that goes back to emphasizing his divinity, the fact that he is fully God, not just a good teacher. And so we are going to dive in today to uh, what he says in John chapter 11 when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And before we do, will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you so much for who you are, and I thank you for the fact that you are in this place. I thank you, Lord, that um, each person that is here is someone who is formed and created by you, and whether they have a relationship with you now, whether they used to, whether they are interested in one, or maybe they're still just on that journey, they don't know. God, I pray that they know more than anything that you love them. I pray that they know that we've been praying for them and we care for them and we love them before they even came into this room. And I pray that everyone who hears my voice, either here live or listening online later, would know the depths of your love for them. And if they hear nothing else, that that would be what would stick with them. Lord, as we dive into your word, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way to each and every one of us. And may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're coming up. Uh, it's Good Friday was two nights ago, uh, Easter this morning, obviously. So this, in, in life of the church, is a very busy season. Uh, life of a pastor, it's a very busy week. And um, I mentioned last week briefly that my wife, Stephanie, my daughter, Shaylin, and my daughter, Elise, were all sick. And so it's one of those where I'm just kind of coming into this week. I actually ended up staying home on Monday and Tuesday of this week in order to just care for the family, make sure you know they're doing okay. And you know, when people find out that your family's sick, and especially on Easter, they'll, you know, they'll say things um, just to encourage you, like, hey, you know, I hope that they feel better soon, and things like, you know, I hope that, you know, you don't get sick, and I hope that uh, you're able to make it to Good Friday and Easter, that you're able to make it through your week, and they say things like, stay away from me, you're contaminated, and so, you know, it's just like a 10-foot pole, it's just, you know, like, oh, also, hi, but it's this idea of, like, this, this idea of people, you know, want to be able to encourage you and like, hey, I hope you feel better. I hope things will get better. I, I hope. And when we use the word hope in that context, that it's kind of like a wishful thinking. It's no deeper and it's no more resonant to our souls than me saying, I hope I can have pizza for dinner tonight. Right? Like it's not something that actually speaks to the cries of our hearts. That when we use hope, it's like, hey, I hope you have a good day, or I hope that you do that. And we use it as kind of this terminology. It's more like the concept of a wishful thinking. I, I, I wish and I, 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 you know, I hope that things are going to be okay, or I hope that this is uh, going to work out for you. And it's a wishful thinking, but that is not the kind of hope when the gospel talks about hope. That's not the kind of hope that Jesus has to offer. It is not a wishful thinking that we hope things will work out. It is a prayerful trusting that we can rely and put our hope in Jesus, that he is an anchor that will hold our ship steady when the storms are surrounding us. He's the foundation that we can build our lives upon. He's the rock upon which we build our lives. And so that when the storms come down and the... the um, waves start to rise up and flood, when the wind starts to batter us side by side, that it's not a wishy-washy, I hope you feel better. I hope things work out. It's a, we have our hope. We have our anchor. We have our prayerful trusting that God is with us. 
And the message of hope is a hope is a message that's so vital for us. And it's so applicable to Easter. That Emil Bruner is a theologian, and he says this: that what oxygen is for the lungs, such is hope for the meaning of human life. That if we have no hope, that if life is just the, the rat race and the rigmarole that we face every day, if that's all there is, then man, that is a really hard existence. And yet, hope is what gives us that ability to be able to face what we might face. It's that ability that allows us to be able to move forward. It's that, that thing which allows us to be able to breathe deeply and make it through another day. That for some of you, you're here this Easter morning and your lungs are filled with hope. That you are in a place right now where the Lord is working, that when you're praying, he's responding and you're feeling him so closely. You're in a place in which you're able to worship him for what he's done and who he is. And, and it's an incredible uh, relationship that your relationships with family and with friends and with classmates and coworkers and neighbors and roommates, like everything is just going so well right now. And so you can <sighs> breathe deeply of the oxygen of human life, breathe deeply in hope. But for every one of you that's there, I know that there are people who are over on this side right now. That if hope is like oxygen to the lungs, then you're gasping for air. That you're suffocating over the weight of what's going on, the weight of the loss of a loved one, the weight of an illness that you found out that you had, the weight of a job situation not working out, the weight of not knowing what your future is going to look like, the weight of wondering how relational things within your family are going to be healed, the weight of these things where you're not, oh, thank you, Lord, you're just trying to catch a breath. And hope, hope is the oxygen for the purpose, for the meaning of life. And so for us, when you're in this place, or if you're in this place, but if you're here this morning, I am so thankful. I'm so thankful that you are being able to hear the hope of the Easter story today. Maybe you've heard it a thousand times, but maybe it'll take a thousand and one for it to change your life. Or maybe it's the very first time. And if so, I'm excited to be able to be a part of this journey with you. Because our main point for today, we talk, if you're newer with us, we have uh, main points that we fill out. And there's blank lines. And uh, don't feel pressure to do that. If you're not a note taker, don't do that. But if you're not a note taker, don't show me because I will fill it in for you. Just I love blanks. Um, but if you are, you know, don't feel pressure to do that. But as we go into it, you'll see main points on the screen if you're newer with us. You can fill those out there. So what I want to do is your main point for today is this idea that Easter isn't just about what happened 2,000 years ago. It's not just about how Jesus resurrected 2,000 years ago. It absolutely is about that, but that is not the end of the work of Christ. So it's not just about how Jesus resurrected 2,000 years ago. It's also about how he is the resurrection, and he's still providing hope today. He is still providing hope. And we need it. I need it. And I'm sure we, you need it as well. We're going to be in John chapter 11. And we've read the Easter morning passages through, through the time of worship, Matthew 28, the time of communion with Luke as well. We're going to look at a, the story in which Jesus says, out of the seven I am statements, I am the resurrection and the life is actually the fifth statement, but 
because it felt like it, you know, the idea of the resurrection felt somewhat akin to the idea of Easter. I thought we could go with this one today. But we look at this idea that the, the backstory is that Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, brother and sisters, are friends of Jesus. And Lazarus gets sick. Jesus is away. And they send, people send for him to let him know that, you know, your friend Lazarus is sick. And, and he waits a couple more days. He still continues his work, waits a couple of days. And then all of a sudden, he found your, your friend Lazarus is dead. And he says, he's not dead. He's just asleep. And so then he makes his way to the tomb where Lazarus was buried. And we pick up the story here in John 11, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know, he'll, he will raise again or rise again in the resurrection the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. We'll stop there for now when we look at this conversation with Martha and Jesus. And I got some of these notes from, uh, from a website called gotquestions.org. And so there's some really good resources there. And so the next couple things we talk about are, are gleaned from that area of study. And what we want to do is look at what Martha's understanding of different things were and then how Jesus revealed how they were different than what she believed. So the first thing that we look at with Martha and Jesus is that Martha believed that the resurrection was an event, but Jesus showed her that the resurrection is a person. Looking at what she says, she says, no, I know, verse 24, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And the idea behind that is she's here in, in the season of mourning, and she says, okay, I know that, that the resurrection is going to happen far from now. At some point, we don't know when the last day is, and so I, I know, I know he'll be resurrected in the last day. But it's something that feels like it's an actual event. It's something, a one-time occurrence that's going to happen, and it's something that is far away. But Jesus shows her that the resurrection isn't an event. The resurrection is a person. He says, I am the resurrection. He's not saying, I'm bringing about the resurrection. He's not saying, I will send you an invitation to the resurrection, because it's an event. He's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And so it's not just about an event, it's about a person. Now we see this in 1 Corinthians 15. If you want to have some extra time to study or, or just want to meditate on a passage of scripture this week, especially in light of the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15 is an entire chapter about the resurrection. I encourage you to check that out more later. But this is what it says in verse 21. It says, for since death came through a man... The resurrection of the dead, sorry, resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Then in verse 25, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, the next thing he says is the one who believes in me will live even though they die. That he's talking about this idea of even though there is a physical death, 
that there will be, we will have new bodies in, the, in heaven, that there will be a resurrection, that we will be able to, as 1 Corinthians 15, to know that resurrection of the dead comes through Jesus Christ. And so even though they die, they will live again. But that's not all he says. We go to verse 26, and before we do, we see this point. Not only did she believe the resurrection was an event, and he showed her it was a person, she thought that eternal life was abstract, but Jesus showed her that eternal life is relational. That this idea, if we say, hey, what does eternal life mean? Many of us might, might use the verbiage of, oh, that's what happens when you die. That, that when you die, then you get to you know, spend eternity with heaven. And so eternal life is something that, that, again, is further down the line. It's further in time, but we don't know the day. We don't know the hour, but it's something that happens when we die. That's when eternal life starts. But that's not what Jesus shows us. What he shows is that eternal life can start now, today, because it's not about something coming in the future. It's about the one who already came and wants to have eternal life or eternal relationship with you. It's about a relationship with God. We see this in 1 John 5, 11 and 12 it says, and this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Again, written by the same man who wrote the Gospel of John, writes this letter as well. But then Jesus even says it himself in John 17, 3. He makes it a little bit more succinct, and he says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That eternal life is not when we die. Eternal life is when we recognize the author of life. That eternal life is something that doesn't just happen when we close our eyes here on earth for the last time. It's when God, through his Holy Spirit, truly opens up our eyes to what life is really supposed to be about. That we're able to have eternal life because we have a relationship. It's a relational thing. We have a relationship with God the Father that we would know him and that we would know Jesus Christ whom God the Father has sent. So eternal life isn't for the later. It's for now and it's a relationship and it's something that we all can be invited to. That this verse 26, when he says, I am the life, verse 26 refers to that. He says, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. That anyone who truly lives and lives by believing him, that through that belief in Jesus, they have their eyes open to what true life really is. Those people will never die. Their, their earthly bodies may stop breathing, but they will never die because of their eternal relationship with God. And so when we're in the midst of loss and in the midst of brokenness, we can have this hope that eternal life is something that continues on that we're able to have that right relationship with God. And through that right relationship with God, that eternal life is relational. So we are able to spend eternity with him. The next point is that Martha thought the victory over death was a future expectation. But Jesus showed her that that victory is a present reality. Again, she's in this place here of mourning and weeping and, and brokenness over her brother's death. And we don't know the, the tone in which she said this thing. If you, had known, if you were here, my brother would not have died, right? That's a hard part when we have text. We can't really tell the tones. 
And so when they say it could have been just a heartbroken sadness of, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. Could be anger. Could be, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. It could be anything in between. And we are able to come to God with anger and sadness and fear and anything in between. And and she's in that place of sadness or anger or fear, whatever it is. She's in that place. But she's like, okay, no, I know the resurrection is going to come later on. It's a future expectation. But it's not about a future expectation. It's the present reality. And she sees this with her own two eyes, starting in verse 38 of John 11. We jump down. It says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he had been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. That this miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead is the last miracle that is recorded in the book of John, the gospel of John, before Jesus' own death and his own resurrection. That it's right before he's about to go into a triumphal entry in Jerusalem and he raises Lazarus from the dead and it's just a glimmer, it's a, it's a shadow of the fact that he too is going to have to go through death. That the only way resurrection can happen is on the backside of death. And so it's this idea that he's seeing the mourning and he's seeing this and he knows that he's going to go through that. And he, even we see in Luke 22 that he says, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. And he's, he knows what he's here to do. And this is the beauty of his love is that he does it anyways. He took all of our sin. He took all of our shame. He took all of our brokenness and neediness upon himself. And the weight of the world was on his shoulders. And the wrath of God was poured out so that the justice of God could be met, so that the love of God could be shared, so that the people of God could be his. And so we see this idea that this is the last miracle. So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection... And I am the life. He's showing us and he's proclaiming that he's the master of both. He's the master of the physical death and recognizing that there is eternal life. He's the master of the eternal life that comes through a relationship with him. And so he's the master and the, the owner of that. So he's the one who can give it out to those who have a relationship with him. And so this shows us and what he's showing us through this is that death cannot win. Because Jesus lives. That we see from 1 Corinthians 15, it was alluded to in some of our songs. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. 
But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this is not a victory that is a future expectation. It is a victory that is a present reality. That Jesus is in the business of bringing the darkest moment of all of history, Good Friday, and bringing light out of it, Easter Sunday. He's in the business of taking despair and bringing forth hope. He's in the business of bringing out of death, bringing forth life. And of course, does this mean, does 1 Corinthians 15 mean that when someone that we love dies, that there's no heartache? Of course, there's still heartache because we miss them and we love them. So it's not saying that, you know, we don't care about death or, or anything like that. It's like there is real mourning. And we see that in Martha and we see that in Mary. There's real mourning when it comes to death. But what it means is that death is not the end of the story. Death is the comma. The resurrection is the exclamation point. That the old has gone, the new has come. You are a new creation. There is victory in Jesus Christ. So we've looked at this conversation of of Martha and Jesus, but all of us, to some degree or another, we need to have a, a dialogue between us and Jesus. So there's a section in your notes called You and Jesus. And it's how do we navigate, what do we do when we all, might be in that place like Martha, where we feel like we are suffocating, we feel like we don't have breath, we feel like we're overwhelmed, and it feels like if, oxygen, if hope is oxygen, then we are malnourished with our hope right now. What does that look like? And so we, we look at what she did, and we apply that to what we may do. That when we have our faith in Jesus, we can hold fast to what you know in the midst of what you don't understand. Hold fast to what you know in the midst of what you don't understand. This is what Martha does in verse 22. And she says, I, I know, though, that even now, if you were to ask something of the Father, you can still have it. That she can hold fast to the knowledge that Jesus can still do a miracle. That she could hold fast to the knowledge that though I don't know why I'm in this pain, I do know that God is with me in the midst of this pain. I do know that I'm not alone, and I do know that God, Jesus, you are powerful enough to do a big thing. We hold fast to what we know in the midst of what we don't know. She also opens up to Jesus about what she's going through. So we too can open up to Jesus about what you are going through. That we, we referenced this earlier, verse 21. She says, if you had been here, my brother would not be dead. And whether that's with sadness, whether that's with anger, whether that's with something in between, she's able to proclaim that and she's able to come to him and open up with what it is that she's experiencing. That if we are in a friendship or a, or a marriage or uh, with kids or whatever it is, that When there's conflict, we could hide our emotions, but does that draw us closer to the person we love or further away? That conflict and being able to be sharing openly and honestly with one another can be the foundation from which we can build a closer intimacy out of conflict. That when we are experiencing conflict in life or we are struggling or suffocating, we could go to Jesus and we can... Go to him with our sadness. We can go to him with our anger. We can go to him with our confusion. We can go to him in our brokenness, and he's big enough to handle it all. He's big enough to take your most angry moment because he would rather have your most angry, your, most, your saddest, your most confused, whatever it is. He would rather have that moment 
than to have the moment when you stop talking to him altogether. Because when you come to him, even when you are heavy laden and weary, we recognize that a smoldering wick he does not snuff out and a bruised reed he does not break. So we could come and he can speak and love tenderly, come alongside us in the midst of it. But we can open up about what we are going through. He knows it anyway, and he wants to come alongside you in the midst of it. Then what we see is that we can also profess your faith even when you can't see. Profess your faith even when you can't see that in verse 27 when she says, I know that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. I know this. She professes it even though she cannot see what it looks like. And we have Hebrews 11.1 tells us what faith is. Hebrews 11.1 tells us that faith is being sure of what you hope for, hope, and certain of what you cannot see. So it's not that we always know what's going to happen, but we know the one who's in charge of what's going to happen. It means that we don't always know the path, but we trust in the one who is the path maker. That when we trust in him with all our own hearts and lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways we acknowledge him, he will make those paths straight. Doesn't mean it's an easy path, but it does mean that we have him with us to walk us through the tough parts. And we're not alone and that he's a God of comfort. So you hold fast to what you know. You open up to Jesus about it. You profess your faith even when you can't see. And when you do those things, oftentimes you experience resurrection power. Does that mean that every time we have a loved one who, who dies that they're going to be raised back from the dead? No, it doesn't mean that happens all the time. We know this. But it does show us, again, the central idea of Christianity. One of these central ideas is that out of death comes life. That there might be a memorial service that out of the well-lived life of someone who loved Jesus, that out of death and out of someone learning about Jesus through that person's life and through that person's death, that they are confronted with death and they make a choice for eternal life. That out of death comes life. That a seed has to be buried and die before it can bloom. And 1 Corinthians 15 hints on that as well. But it's this idea that shows that we can experience resurrection power. It might just be something that you were once so suffocated and so lost and so broken that you have a past that is so tough that I don't pretend to know all the things that you've been through. But I do know that when we offer those things up to God, when God works in us and through us and moves in our lives, that he can take the darkest moments of our lives and he can help us to be a light to other people. He can bring the moments that brought us the most death in order to point other people to true life. And that we can then go from being suffocating and not having enough hope in our lungs to be able to breathing deeply and praising deeply. And so we've talked about this, Martha and Jesus kind of the things that she needed to learn and how he responded to her. You and Jesus, how do you interact when you're in the midst of feeling like you have no hope and you're struggling, you're suffocating? But we're all here on Easter. And Easter, as we remember our main point today, is that Easter isn't just about how Jesus resurrected 2,000 years ago. It is about that, but that's not the end of our joy. That's not the end of our hope. It's not just about that. It's also about how he is the resurrection and is still providing hope. So we can take hold of the fact that because he died, we can live. 
that we too, like Lazarus, have been dead in our sin and we've been dead in our relationship with God when we're far from God and we haven't trusted in Jesus to be able to rescue us from that death. And so when Jesus is there and and when Lazarus' stone was rolled away, it was so that Lazarus could be let out. Shortly thereafter, when Jesus' stone was led away, it wasn't because he could be let out, because we've already seen that he's able to go through walls and be able to do all these amazing things. It's not so that Jesus could be let out, it's so that we could be let into what God was up to. That when Jesus um, brings Lazarus out, it says, Lazarus, come forth, come out. Lazarus is still covered in his grave clothes. And yet when we have been once dead and we have been made alive in Christ, what does he say? He says, get out of those grave clothes. Those are not your clothes anymore. Take off those grave clothes and be let go because you are not defined by the death that you were once living under, but you are now defined not by the grave clothes, but by the white robes of righteousness that come from a right relationship with Jesus. And so you're able to have this new life that we put aside the grave clothes because Jesus, his clothes were left in the grave. Why? Because he's not here. He is risen. He didn't need those anymore. You too don't need your grave clothes of our previous life anymore because we have hope because this is not the end of our story. Because he died, we can live. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, every fear is gone. That we recognize that because he lives, we do not know our future, but we know the one who holds us in his hands and knows our future. We don't know what the next day is going to look like, but we know the one who created day in the first place. And he is with us and will never leave us nor forsake us. That there are so many other systems of belief or ways of living that we just put ourselves in the one who determines what's going to happen tomorrow. And we try our best to, by the sweat of our brow and the, the work of our bootstraps, that we make ourselves something when really it's one of those situations in which when difficulty comes, all of a sudden that often crumbles. And many belief systems tell us how much we have to do in order to be thought worthy of being able to go in front of a supreme being or a God. And so it's all about do, but thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ, it's not about what we have to do because Jesus did it and it's already done. That we're able to come to him and have that relationship with him, to have eternal life with him, but it's not about a list of things we have to do. Because in order to make us righteous before God, Jesus has already done it. Because he died, we can live. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. And because he resurrected, we have hope. We have hope that is not just this idea we talked about earlier of a wishful thinking. Man, I hope that this gospel is true. Man, I hope that this Jesus is real. Man, I hope that there's these things. It's not just this wishful thinking. It is a prayerful trusting. It is the anchor for our souls in the midst of the storms. It's a foundation for our lives in the midst of our daily struggles. And it is the rock upon which we build our homes upon so that we know that when difficulties come, We're not falling to the wayside like shifting sand. We are standing on the rock. That we might be in the miry pit, but he picks us up and he sets our feet upon the rock on solid ground. And so, how do you come to this place of hope? 
How does that begin? How do you navigate that? And I know earlier I said something, if you're not someone who's a note taker, that, um, you know, don't worry about, don't show me. But for those of you who are note takers, I want you to pull out your notes and I want you to look underneath the, the Martha, or sorry, the you and Jesus section. And in the you and Jesus section, it talks about how is it that Martha helped us to see this hope? What did she do? First, H, she held fast to what she knew, even though she didn't understand everything. Then what? She, oh, she opened up about what she was going through. Then she peed. She professed her faith even when she could not see where it was going. And once she had the H of holding fast, the O of opening up, the P of professing her faith, then she was able to E, experience the resurrection power. That when we come to Jesus and if we come to him and we hold on to what we know about him, even if it's not that much yet, and you're still on your journey, just take the fact, okay, Jesus is who he says he is, and I want to learn more about him. I'm going to hold fast to that. And then you maybe need to open up like, Jesus, this doesn't make sense to me. I grew up believing this system, or I grew up in this way, and this doesn't make sense. What does this look like? But open it up and share and have a dialogue and pray and find people to come alongside you. And then when that happens and you get that right relationship with God, you can profess your faith in him. And then you experience what it's like to go from darkness to light, from despair to hope, and from death to life. And when we do that, that is an anchor. That's the hope. That is a prayerful trusting that whatever we face, we can, because he died, we can live. Because he lives, we face tomorrow. Because he resurrected, we have hope. That same section of 1 Corinthians 15 says that if it's only for this life that we have hope in Christ, then we are of all people most to be pitied. Because if it's just to get us through this life, if this life is the period to our lives, the end of our story, then we're just facing the rigmarole and we're like Sisyphus who in the Greek mythology who's just trying to push a boulder up a hill and then it just keeps falling back upon us and flattening us with no hope of ever doing the task that we were called to do. But if there's more beyond this life, if this life is not the period, but our death here is the comma and the resurrection and eternal life with Jesus is the exclamation point, then it's beyond just this life we have hope. And then we're able to be able to proclaim that hope to all that we see. That there was a story uh, when I graduated from APU in 2006, John Ortberg was the uh, convocation speaker. He was the graduation speaker. And, um, well-known pastor uh, from the Midwest and then also now in the Bay Area, um, kind of all over, great author. He shared a message, and I, rem I still remember one of the points that he shared, a story that he shared. And it was this idea that he had read a story or heard a story about um, a family who uh, the, the mom found out or the woman found out that she um, had cancer. She only had three months left to live. And so it was devastating, devastating for the family. And so what she decided to do was to um, be able to have a conversation with the pastor um, and say, hey, pastor, I, I want to be able to think about what songs I want to be able to have sung at my memorial. I want to be able to um, share the scripture or to be able to have some stories or I want to be able to make sure that I'm buried with my favorite Bible. I want to really make sure that I set up the service. And so the pastor says, okay, and, and that's, a, that's a hard conversation to have, but, but it's a, it, it can be a good one. And then she said, but pastor, there's one more thing, and this is important. And she said, he says, okay, what is it? She says, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. And he's obviously confused, just kind of, what does that mean? And 
it's one of those things where she said, you know what, whenever we would go to church functions and there'd be like a potluck or something like that, or there'd be different things that were going on, my favorite moment of that, do you know what my favorite moment was, Pastor? He said, what is it? He said, my favorite moment was when the person who was serving the food would take away the main course plate and said, you can keep your fork. Because what did that mean? That meant that dessert was coming. That meant that there wasn't just like some jello that she didn't need a spork. She needed like a fork with like tines and just digging. So it's one of those where it was this idea that there's more coming. Something better is coming. And so she says, Pastor, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. And so when at the memorial, people ask you, why does she have a fork in her right hand? You can tell her that she believed in Jesus. And because she believed in Jesus, she knew that something better was coming. So the memorial service happens, and the songs that she wanted sung were sung, and the, the Bible she wanted to be buried with, she was buried with, and she had the fork in her hand, and she, people asked the question, and the pastor was able to say, it's because she believed in Jesus, because she recognized that this life is not the end, that something better is coming. And so she wanted all of you to know, this is what he says, she wanted all of you to know that this is not a day of defeat. This is not a day of mourning. This is a day of victory. This is a day of remembering that this is my hope, only found in Jesus Christ. And that something better is coming. Because if we only were to believe in Jesus for this life, he would only be believing in the first half of that sentence, the comma, but we're able to have eternal life. It's not something in the future. It's not just a future expectation. It's not something that's abstract. It's eternal life can start now, and it can start when it's a relationship with Jesus so that we too can know that something better is coming. Hope is alive. Let hope rise so that hope would be the beacon of hope to those around us, that we would be a city on a hill, a church on a hill that could not be hidden, and that the hope of Christ would radiate so brightly throughout our valley, throughout our area, throughout this city, throughout this state, throughout this nation, throughout this world, that all the world would know that every knee would could bow down and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and that something better is coming. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the fact that you are here in this place. I thank you for each and every person that is here this morning and each person that is listening online later on. God, I pray that for some people here that don't um, have a, a faith uh, background with you, and I pray, God, that you would speak to them and you would whisper sweet words of hope to them, that you would help them to know the love and the depth of the love that you have for each and every one of us, that while we were still far from God, you sent Jesus to die on the cross so that we might be drawn near to, be, to God, so that we might be called the children of God. I pray, Lord, that for some of us who maybe have had a strong faith, maybe we've fallen back and stumbled and we're still been renewed, but we're still going back to the grave and putting our grave clothes back on. May we leave those grave clothes behind and may we take hold of the life that you have for us and be let go from our sin and our past. For those of us who are grieving, meet us, Lord. Comfort us. Be that anchor of hope that we need. For those of us who are rejoicing about who you are, 
Fill our lungs so that hope resonates in and through us and that we may, with every breath, worship you and share about your hope with others. And thank you that we know this isn't the end of our story, that something better is coming, that the death may be the comma, but resurrection and eternal life with you is the exclamation point. We love you, Lord. It's your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So on this Easter Sunday, um, recognizing that there are uh, various people in various journeys in their, their stage, or, or sorry, different stages in their journey of faith, forgive me, um, I would be remiss, we would be remiss, if we didn't have an opportunity to ask the same question to each and every one of you that Jesus asked Martha in verse 26. We talk about how he says, I am the resurrection, I am the life. And then he says this, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because if you're not there yet, we're glad you're here and we would love to continue to walk along that journey. If you have questions about that, we would love to have a dialogue and conversation about what that means. If you're here and you're at that place where you say, yes, I believe that, then everything changes. The grave clothes get cast aside and the white robes get put on. You can live and be let go. And so in a couple moments, as people start to leave, if you're in a place where you want to make that decision of faith, that you want to say, yes, I believe this, I'll be up here. I know others would love to be able to come alongside you and pray with you in the midst of that decision. Because like we said, eternal life is not something that happens when we die. Eternal life happens in a relationship with Jesus now. You can have eternal life now. And for all of us, when you go home later today, whether it's a lunch, whether it's dinner, you have your Easter meal and you pick up that fork. <laughs> May you remember that something better is coming, that we have hope, that it's not just a wishful thinking. This hope is a prayerful trusting and that changes everything. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. We're so thankful that you spent some time with us this morning. We would love to see you again next Sunday morning as we continue this series called I Am. Have a wonderful Easter. God bless you all. And may you know that something better is coming. Have a great day.